0: It's the JT the Brick show.
1: They get the snap off. Handoff Jacobs has the first down in the big hole. 15 10, five, touchdown Raiders. Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. Raiders bring a blitz. He is smothered and brought down. Max Crosby came around for the sack. Your silver
0: and black home to sound off for over 20 years.
1: Shotgun snap to Stidham. Lobs
2: here, corner for Adams. Makes the grab in the corner. Down Raiders! An
3: absolutely perfect pass, and Adams dragged his feet in the back left corner. And now, here's JT the Brig. Welcome back. Final hour of the week, and that's pretty cool. I'm excited about that. Gonna have a good weekend. I'm going to the Golden Knights game tomorrow night. Hope to see you there if you're going. How about that win last night? My house shook. Win the Golden Knights, and Bobby, tell me when we have that game winner. I want to get to that here. Uh, Scott Kaplan, sideline for Westwood One, a little bit later on this hour, and the sideline reporter of the Chiefs. Well, I was on his show. Having them on this show, you'll hear that coming up here in a little bit. As we are brought to you by our great friends, and I mean it, at the M Resort Spa and Casino. That's the home of the Raiders Tavern and Grill. Whenever you go to the M Resort, you can have fine dining, great bars. They have concerts. Their pool is fantastic. It's the official hotel of the Raiders. That should be big enough for everybody coming into town. And that's where I hang out and have a great time with Fred Bolitnikoff. And Freddie B stays there along with the alumni. We thank M Resort Spawn Casino for their proud partnership with the show. Really important. We have many hotel casinos that sponsor this particular time slot. M is very important to us, and we thank them for their sponsorship and especially everything at the Super Bowl. NFL Live. NFL Live right now on ESPN just opened up the show at the top of the hour. So they led with Derek Carr. He's meeting with the Jets tomorrow. Then they just posted this. And I just screenshotted it. It says the Raiders' offseason storylines. Wow. 43.9 million projected cap space for 2023. That's the fourth most in the NFL. They hold the seventh overall pick in 2023 in the NFL draft. Chase Garber's the only quarterback under contract, ranked 30th in defensive efficiency. That's right up there on the screen in every sports bar in the world. Raiders offseason storylines. So I bring this up because Carr is interviewing with the Jets. He's meeting with the Jets. Why would the Jets even let him leave the building? Because clearly the Jets are sitting back and they want Aaron Rodgers. But a lot of us believe that the Raiders want Aaron Rodgers. So as they're debating this topic now, and all these guys are sitting around the round table, they're talking about the Raiders and what the Raiders need to do. Now, why would NFL Live on ESPN lead with this? Because they know that the Raiders control the quarterback market or would like to. The Raiders are either going to get a draft pick. That's going to be a high draft pick. And a kid that better be ready to play pretty soon. They're not drafting a kid to sit him for three years. Or, it rhymes with sit him, Jared Stidham. Maybe he's the quarterback, but they got to sign him. And if they sign him to a deal, could he be the starter? Because the Raiders have the fourth most cap space in the entire league. Or can the Raiders go after Tom Brady? No, he retired. Aaron Rodgers, Yes. And how would that look? So this is not going to change over the weekend if Derek Carr decides to be a Jet. I mean, the Jets have a better defense than the Raiders, no debate. But the Jets don't have a better offense than the Raiders. So would Derek want to stay in the AFC? I think that would be a nightmare scenario for him. I could be wrong. I would go to the NFC. But I'm not going to be talking about Derek Carr too much other than where he signs. When he does sign officially, I'm going to spend most of my time talking about the Raider quarterback quarterback and who the Raider quarterback's going to be. That's really important to me. Gangster Raider, thanks for being patient. Start us off this hour. Go ahead.
0: Hey, good, what's happening, JT? I just want to say happy birthday to both the GOATs to me. The first GOAT is Jim Brown, because to me, Jim Brown was the greatest running back of all time, and I played running back when I was a football. So Jim Brown was very influential to me, and he had a big influence on my life out here in L.A., because I don't know if y'all know it or not. Um, Jim Brown had a lot to do with the gang culture out mm-hmm. here in L.A. because it's a big gang problem. And he uh, had a program called AmeriCan yep. where he does gang intervention. and He changed a lot of um, former gang members and um, gang activists and community activists that um, put in a lot of work in the community for the positive. So if it wasn't for Jim Brown doing that, I've seen that a positive, a positive impact mm-hmm. like firsthand from that being here in L.A. And also Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan to me is the GOAT. You know what I'm saying? I I grew up watching him and he's the reason I had to renounce the Lakers because a lot of Lakers fans said I wasn't a real Lakers fan because Michael Jordan was my favorite player starting back in like 86, 87, really like 85, I discovered him, but then they said I wasn't a real Lakers fan because Michael Jordan was my favorite player, so I got tired of him saying that, so I renounced the Lakers and it's been Clippers and Bulls because at first I was a Lakers and a Clippers fan, but ever since they said I wasn't a real Lakers fan, I renounced them and it's been Clippers and Bulls since then, and then he went on to win all the championships because they used to say he'll never win the championship because he's a hot dog and all this or whatever, but to see him finally get his accolades and go on to win six championships and never lose the NBA final, that's that's what I think is important. A lot of people forget he's undefeated in the NBA finals, 6-0, and and he denied a lot of people championships because Charles Barkley don't have a championship because of him. Mm-hmm. Patrick don't have a championship because of him. Um, Alonzo Mourning don't have a championship because of him. Anybody that pretty much played in that area in, that, in the Jordan era, don't have a championship because of him. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people can't say that. LeBron can't say that. Kobe can't say that. A lot of people got championships on their era. But, you know, I just want to say shout-out to the GOATs. To me, oh, yeah, and it's only two non-Raider um, jerseys that I own. One of them is Jim Brown because, to me, he's the GOAT. I got the, um, the brownie orange Jim Brown um, jersey in the back of my closet. And the other GOAT, to me, a lot of people don't want to give him his credit, is Eli Manning because he beat Tom Brady twice in the Super Bowl. And if it wasn't for Eli Manning, that um, that suit, that New England king that went undefeated in the regular season would have went undefeated, and they be talking about them as the greatest team of all time. But Eli Manning shut that down. So them the only two non-Raiders jerseys I own, I got a red Eli Manning jersey in the back of my closet and a brown and orange Jim Brown jersey because, to me, them the goats, Jordan, MJ, and Eli. (laughs) I'm gone, JT. Keep it gangster, y'all.
3: Raiders! Thanks a lot, and that's a good segue to how I wanted to talk about Jim Brown. So I'll try to make this quick, even though I got a while to go here, but we got some guests coming up. Uh, Jim Brown played a major impact on my life. Huge impact. Because when I was working at Fox Sports Radio, my mentor, a guy by the name of Andrew Ashwood, he gave us a budget to get guests. So you get Jay Glazer on, you get an NFL insider. And at the time, he gave me $500 a week to spread out and use for guests if we wanted to have an insider. And I went to him and I said, I know Jim Brown. How about I use the entire budget on Jim Brown? And he looked at me and he said, if you want to, but do you think you can get him? And I said, yeah. So I called Jim and he invited me up to his house and I sat down with Jim and I said, look, it's not about the money, but I'd like to have you on every week, once a week over the phone and we'll talk about sports and I'll give you $500 a week. And he said, well, okay, I'll do that for you. But he goes, I don't want to talk sports. I said, excuse me. He goes, I don't want to talk about sports with you. I want to talk about what gangster Raider just said. I want to talk about American gang violence, the war in Iraq. Topics that I can change people's opinions on. So I said, no problem. So I got Jim Brown to sign this contract. Jim Brown, you'll be paid 500 a week, blah, blah, blah. And I took that original contract and I photocopied it on the machine and I kept the original. And the scoundrels that I worked for and my mentor was in charge, but the people under him never knew that I was holding the real contract for me. And I was giving them the copy. So I have four of those framed and signed from Jim Brown it means everything to me. And then one of those years I brought my dad up to Jim Brown's house and my dad who was 84, Jim turned 87. They sat out on the porch. I just tweeted out the picture right now at JT, the brick of me and Jim Brown signing one of those contracts. And my dad and Jim talked for about an hour and his wife, Monique brought us over some iced tea. And my dad had this deep conversation cause he grew up in New York and that's what Jim Brown's from Long Island. And then the final story that I wanted to share with you is one night, Jim called me and said on a Friday night, can you get up to a house and Jim's house is on the top of Hollywood Hills. He had one of the oldest and it was stuck in the seventies, but Leonardo DiCaprio lived underneath him, Brad Pitt. So he had this beautiful home and I go up there and there's about 40 cars in the driveway and he was having a gang summit and he wanted me to see it. So I parked like two blocks away. I walked in. They let me in, and sitting in his dining room was 15, 20 gangbangers, Crips and Bloods, and Jim was trying to bring them peace. You could imagine. They weren't allowed to bring in guns. They had to be checked at the door, and I'm in that room, one of the only white guys in that room, and I look next to me, and sitting down is Curtis Martin before he went to the Hall of Fame, and he was playing chess by himself. I'll never forget the image of all these gangbangers and Curtis Martins listening, and he's playing chess against himself. And that was life-changing to hear the conversations that they were having about turf wars, children dying, and Jim Brown was trying to make the peace. So roughly around that time, the Cleveland Browns were coming to play the Oakland Raiders. And I asked Jim, I go, Jim, when was the last time you spoke to Mr. Davis? You, want that? you both went to Syracuse, you both in the Hall of Fame. He goes, I don't know, I haven't seen him in 10 years. And I go, do you mind if I call Mr. Davis and try to make that meeting? And he goes, absolutely. So I called Fudgy, Mr. Davis' assistant, and I said, Fudgy, can you ask Mr. Davis if he'll meet with Jim Brown? And he goes, hang on, I'll call you back. And she calls back, and she he says, absolutely, set it up. So the day of that Cleveland Brown Oakland Raider game, I went down on the field and we had a golf cart for Jim and he got on the golf cart and we took him up into the stadium and I walked him up the stairs to Mr. Davis's suite. This is like three hours before the game. And I knocked on the door, which was open. I said, Mr. Davis, the great Jim Brown. And he said, wow, the great Jim Brown, I think he said greatest of all time. And I just slid out of the room. And those two gentlemen spoke for a good 20 or 30 minutes. It's one of the coolest and proudest moments of my career to put them two together. And then right after it was done, we were next door in a suite with the lights and the cameras. And I did a 10 minute interview for him for silver and black productions, which is somewhere in the archives. So that's the Jim Brown story on his 87th birthday. And the fact that he's still here with us after all the violent football he played, the, the insane football he played with three or four people had to take tackle him at once to bring him down, and that we still have him. So when I was at Cliff Branch's Hall of Fame induction, I had, I went to see him and we spent a moment together. And I figured that would probably be one of the last times I'd ever see him in my life. I made peace in a good way with him. Told him I loved him. He patted me on the knee. We had a nice moment together, and that's it. I, I don't think I'd be on the radio this long if it wasn't for Jim Brown. He really did me solid. And I think of him as the GOAT, one of the greats of all time. And all the mistakes that he made in his life, he's atoned for them, and he's admitted to it. And he had a rough patch in his life, but he's tried to atone for it and move on with his life. So when people say, well, Jim Brown wasn't perfect, no, he wasn't perfect. But what he did with Bill Russell and Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X, what he did for social injustice, all the works trying to stop gang violence, Jim Brown would walk into rooms with heavily armed gangbangers bangers to try to stop the killings in Los Angeles. How many other athletes have done that? How many? I don't know of any who did it at his level. All right, a couple of more conversations coming up. Scott Scott Kaplan will join us. A lot to get to him on. And uh, the sideline reporter for the Kansas City Chiefs, as we'll we'll put away the Chiefs Super Bowl for good. But a friend of mine got another ring, and I wanted to get him on as we continue on Friday. Raider Nation Radio.
0: Audible called by
3: Patrick Mahomes. Ball will be snapped in the center of the field with McKinnon, the running back. A fast left side wide open. Sky Moore touchdown. Kansas City on a pivot route. And Kansas City has a chance now to get up by eight points on a four-yard touchdown pass. Mahomes to Sky Moore. All right, JT, back with you as we continue here Friday on a nice Friday. Up and down weather this week. As I look out my studio window, it was snowing earlier this week. Then we had beautiful weather, and we head into a really good weekend here. As we're wrapping up the Super Bowl week, like I like to say, I just said it earlier, we spent a couple of days on the Super Bowl, Monday, Tuesday. Uh, This week, we extended a little bit longer, I think, out to Wednesday and dove into all the quarterback talk for the Raiders. And the whole week, I remember, as I filled out my journal this week, was about Derek Carr. Derek Carr, no longer the quarterback, officially let go by the Raiders, released, The Raiders didn't get any compensation in return. Derek had a no-trade clause. We covered that story. We wish Derek well. We now move on, and the Raiders look for another quarterback. One of the best radio hosts in the country joins us from ESPN 710 in Los Angeles. My friend Scott Kaplan, who's worked for years on the sidelines and was there for a couple of Kansas City games over the years with Mahomes and Andy Reid, and he's kind enough to join us. Cap, thanks a lot for doing this. Appreciate it. Heading into the weekend and another Mahomes comeback and a Super Bowl. I didn't think he could do it. How'd you say it?
2: Oh, JT, I'm telling you, man, with with a buck thirty-three to go in the first half, when Mahomes got rolled up on and he jumps up because he doesn't want anybody to know he's hurt, but we can all see him limping off the field and you know the close-up shot of his face, and he's in agonizing pain. And then when he's sitting on the bench and he's got the orthopedic doctor in front of him. But he's got Rick Burkholder, the longtime trainer, sitting right next to him. And Mahomes puts his head on Burkholder's shoulder. I'm thinking to myself, he's done. He may come out and try and play, but given the field conditions and his ankle, he's done.
3: And I guess I was really, really wrong, huh? I think we all were wrong. I had Philadelphia winning the game. My big takeaway was Philly couldn't get to a Mahomes who was at 100% because – Mahomes made good decisions at the line of scrimmage. And, Cap, you know Kansas City being out here in the AFC West. I didn't think that offensive line could withstand Philadelphia's edge rushers the whole game. And they absolutely dominated them. They made those Philly defensive linemen look like they tapped out a week before and were celebrating winning the NFC Championship game. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you.
2: I, I, I thought the same thing. I thought Philadelphia is going to win the game because they've got so many guys who can sack the quarterback, guys with double-digit sacks, and then they've got a whole bunch of really stout defensive linemen, and people forgot And Dominican Sue got picked up by Philly in the middle of the season. So I definitely thought also Philadelphia's D-line was going to control this game. And, you know, when you go back to that first half, JT, Kansas City barely touched the ball on offense. And then when they got into the second half, four straight possessions, 24 points, only one in completion, which was a you know, ball that, that Mahomes threw away. And I think, you know, when you really look at it, Zero turnovers by Mahomes. Now, he wasn't overly impressive with 180-plus yards of passing, um, and, but, but it was it was the no turnovers because as brilliant as Jalen Hurts was, and I don't know if everybody's going to really just remember this in the Super Bowl, but it was that one unforced fumble that really ultimately proved
3: to be the difference in the game, mm-hmm. and Mahomes just didn't turn the ball over. Scott Kaplan, ESPN LA. Isn't it amazing that Hurts could play? at such a brilliant level, and have a turnover, which wasn't a strip sack, where he was hit violently. He did that on his own. He put the ball on the ground. A guy who doesn't turn it over, who was having an historic Super Bowl, and no doubt it'd be fair to say that was the difference in the game. That's seven points in a three-point game, but the kid handled it well. And Cap, a follow-up, I thought the Eagles handled it well. Bradbury at the end, what would you think of that holding call? which a lot of people said they shouldn't have called it, but once he said he was holding, it kind of diffused that whole scenario. I know, but I think like everybody, uh, especially because I'm not an Eagles fan
2: or a Kansas City fan, like everybody, didn't we all just very selfishly as football fans want this game to go on and see what would happen with Jalen Hurts? And so none of us like the call because no one wants the refs to get in the way of a game. Uh, Was it a legitimate call? Yeah, I think it was legit. Was it ticky-tack? For sure. Um, Did it have to be called? I didn't really think so. Um, But, uh, you know, listen, when Bradbury comes out afterwards and says, yeah, yeah, I was holding him because I didn't think they would call something like that at that point in the game. You're right. I mean, the word diffused is exactly the right word because he kind of took all the anger from the Philly fans out. Like, yeah, he knew what he was doing. It It was a... if he doesn't get called, it's a great veteran move.
3: Yeah, and if he doesn't, if he if he pushes back in the post-game interview, it inflames the Philly fans. We both know those fans. They tear that city yeah. down. If he says, why'd you call that? I didn't do anything. And then the Philly fans go around and go, okay, we got an excuse to climb poles and do flip over cars and do what they do. <laughs> and I thought that diffused everything. Hey, for years on the sideline of CBS on television and the Westwood one years, What was it like sitting down with Andy Reid? Because I've met Andy Reid, but I've never had a conversation with him over the years. What's he like? What's his demeanor like? And the fact that now he joins those rare coaches that have won two Super Bowls, and he's probably going to win a third.
2: You know, uh, Andy Reid is the kind of guy that if you uh, work around him, as I have a few times, you you tend to kind of not particularly love him. And the reason Ooh. for that is he's very, very um, guarded and protected. And I say Ooh. that meaning like his PR department really like protects him. Like he, they don't want you talking to him because, he, you know, you stay away from our coach kind of a thing. I think when you're Terry Bradshaw and you can say something to him after a game, like once you waddle over here, kind of gives you an idea of the relationship that they had. But I can Ooh. say I've I probably worked around Andy Reid and the chiefs probably four or five or six games where I've had like, you know, that sort of TV kind of access. And, um, he's, he's a good enough guy, at least in the experiences that I've had, but he's not particularly warm. I don't expect him to walk into a meeting room and be, you know, my best friend. Um, but very, very guarded, you know, almost like very paranoid. And, and as much as like, I, I don't love that because when you have to work around that, it makes your job a little bit more difficult. On the other hand, you see him after the game last night, and you can't help but respect the heck out of the guy for the coach that he is. Because, look, he may not have won a Super Bowl in Philadelphia, but he got them there, and they were successful, and they were good under Andy Reid. And now, listen, was he a little bit lucky um, that, that the, you know, the Chiefs drafted Patrick Mahomes and that Mahomes has turned into this? Of course. But on the other hand, isn't he a really big part of it? So there's a part of me that having worked around Andy Reid and knowing how protected and guarded – and paranoid that organization is. Um, I don't enjoy that. But on the other hand, you just look at Andy Reid as a guy, and you go, how do you not like, and especially, how do you not respect that guy? I like him from the outside, and I respect the heck out of him. I just haven't really loved working around him, I can
3: tell you that. Scott Kaplan, ESPN LA. Finally, I haven't talked to you since the LeBron breaking the all-time scoring record of Kareem, and then this massive trade that moved out a lot of players, including Westbrook. LeBron has another chance with different type of chemistry. What has this storyline been like? Take me first through breaking the record at home and then the mass exodus of some players there as they're trying to flip the roster and take one more chance.
2: JT, I got to tell you, and we've both been very lucky in this business to be at some mm-hmm. really amazing sporting events. Uh, but to be in Crypto.com Arena that night and to see LeBron break it when he needed 36 points. I mean, this was going to be a real effort. Uh, this was not, hey, he scored 30 in the last game, and when he scores six points in the next game, um, you know it's it's over. This was a dramatic, you know, uh, event. 20 points in the first half. He's sitting there with his two sons at halftime, uh, you know, which he was mic'd up. And so, what do you guys think? Can I get it? And they're like, yeah, you could do it. And To have him go out there and break it that night, and to have the place stop and Kareem come onto the floor. And um, just the the swarm of media around and the way the Lakers, who, you know, listen, the Lakers, everybody looks at the Lakers as a really big-time organization. I would say they're a big-time brand, and they've got big-time history, but they're a very small, family-run operation. But when it comes Mm -hmm. to doing things like this, they turn on the Hollywood. It was a really, really awesome event to be at, and I, Mm -hmm. I guess I didn't realize how hurt LeBron was in that game because he hasn't played since, and he's, he's not going to play on Wednesday against New Orleans, and then he's got the all-star break, and then he's got a whole new roster. Look, Russell Westbrook that night in particular, that was LeBron's night, and Darvin Ham, their coach, said after the game, the focus was on getting LeBron the record. Unfortunately, it wasn't about winning the game, but Russell Westbrook was throwing temper tantrums. Once LeBron went to the media and pretty much said, yeah, we wanted Kyrie Irving, that was such a slap in the face to Russ Russ knew everybody wanted him out, but he was behaving this year. And while he wasn't great, he was still giving max effort, and it just blew up that night. Uh, arguments with coaches and fights during halftime, and that was, that was kind of the last straw. I mean, they'd been trying to get rid of it anyway, but that was, that was it. You know, it was supposed to be LeBron's night, and Russ, in many ways, internally, commandeered the night. And so, incredible sporting event, amazing thing to be there to see. I will just say one thing. Um, Gosh, LeBron annoyed the hell out of me in the Super Bowl. When they show up on the screen and he makes this gesture of putting on a crown, it's like, bro, come on. You're like almost 40 years old. Grow (laughs) up. Now, maybe that's just me. I don't know if you saw that. But uh,
3: I don't know. I found that to be very childish and annoying. Hey, last one. You and I have been to a lot of cool sporting events together. This Waste Management Golf Tournament, top three. (laughs) All time. I've been at Game 7s of World Series. I've been on the court for Final Fours, NBA titles, and obviously Super Bowls. I've been at 20+. plus. This thing for our kids, and I know we're aging out here. But for us, you know my crew that I travel with, my boys, you know them on a first-name basis. We were walking around that golf tournament for two days. You didn't think of the Super Bowl. You didn't think of, oh, I got to leave and get ready and go out to dinner with my buddy on radio. You stood there, open bar. You didn't even look at the golf, DJs, whatever you wanted to eat and drink. And I said to myself... This is a bucket list. Problem is, it's always the Super Bowl week, and you and I are either on Radio Row or not going to be able to go and leave our Super Bowl duties or our radio shows. But this thing, with the crew of guys you hang out with and I hang out with, it cannot get better. It's almost like the Kentucky Derby meets the Daytona 500, something with a giant infield of 700,000 people. I don't know if I'll ever see anything like it again.
2: It looks so cool on TV. It always does. Uh, following your social media posts, it looked amazing. I thought to myself, uh, this is probably not a good week for it because you got the Super Bowl going on and this same golf tournament. And I'm like, no, actually, it probably was the smartest thing ever because next year we'll be up in your hometown in Vegas for the Super yeah. Bowl and not, not able to get down. And I was so surprised. I knew a whole bunch of people that were going on Sunday to the Waste Management. I'm like, wait, on Super Bowl Sunday, you're yeah. going to the final of a regular PGA Tour event? And I've never been, and people have the exact same reaction you have, which is you just cannot believe it. And by the way, interestingly, uh, for a sport that was always, as we were growing up, kind of stuffy, there's a lot of other golf tournaments. I mean, here in San Diego, the Farmer's Insurance Open, they're trying to replicate the same thing. They're trying to turn it into a big, giant party rather than some old, stuffy golf Mm -hmm. tournament. So uh, credit to the Waste Management
3: Open because they, they are leading the way, I think. Cap got a run. Great to talk to you. All the best, my friend. I'll see you soon. I'll talk to you real soon. Appreciate Scott Kaplan as the Lakers are now heating up. The whole LeBron James story, the whole move, the trades, what's happening now. You look at this whole team with the Lakers. Goodbye to Russell Westbrook. They brought in a couple of new players. Patrick Beverly's gone. And I think the Lakers, I don't think they're going to win the championship, but I think the Lakers are vastly improved. The Lakers and Rob Polenka had a hell of a draft, uh, excuse me, trade deadline, a week leading into that. They did a nice job turning that team around. Now, all of a sudden, again, I don't think the Lakers are going to be good enough to win, but the Lakers are going to be interesting coming down the stretch here as we're at the All-Star break, and you look at what this team's going to do going forward. Let me get the standings again as I look at the Lakers. If the playoffs started today, yeah, the Lakers are a team that has a chance to move up in the rankings, in the standings, and maybe get to a point where they don't have to play Denver in the first round or have a game early where they're going to get beat. Denver's on top of the West. Okay, they have a five game lead on the Grizzlies, eight game lead on Sacramento. Man, I apologize for not following that story. Sacramento Kings are the three seed. If the playoffs started today, the Lakers would be out. They're trailing the Oklahoma City Thunder by two games. So the Lakers got some work to do to get over Portland, Utah, the Thunder. And then the Warriors being at the ninth seed. I would have told you before the season that the Lakers and the Warriors would be trailing the Pelicans, the Sacramento Kings. Not a great year for the Western Conference. Denver in first place, followed by Memphis. And Sacramento, the three-seed, pretty incredible for us right there. 702-365-9200 as we continue on thanking all our great sponsors this week. I got a bucket of Modellos cruising, ready to go on a Friday night, heading into the weekend and the Golden Knights game on Saturday. We talked to Gary Lawless earlier in the week. Bobby's running those games. So when we come back next week, we'll line up a player or a coach or someone to come on in from the broadcast team to talk to us by, about that. But next week's going to be a heavy dose of the NFL draft as we're going to start to look at the quarterbacks, as I said, who are going to be available. And more information, hopefully, on that Alvin Kamara indictment. I remember when that went down at Dre's and everybody was wondering what was going to happen there. So Saints running back Alvin Kamara and Bengals quarterback Chris Lamons and two other men have been indicted by a grand jury for that assault on a man at a Las Vegas nightclub right outside of Dre's. His attorneys right now said in a statement yesterday that he intends to contest the charges. What else is new? Quote, the state has avoided a contested preliminary hearing by indicting Mr. Kamara. He intends to vigorously fight the allegations at trial as he was defending himself and others at the time of the incident. The incident means that this case will move from Las Vegas Justice Court to District Court coming up on March second. So we'll see how this plays out. I don't play judge and jury on this radio show until we have information and we can pass it along to you. So Alvin Kamara, a guy who got into some shenanigans when he's out there and who does he have? David Chasnoff will be his attorney representing them. They made that statement yesterday. JT, we'll wrap it up here on Friday. I hope everybody has a great weekend. A lot to be happy about in Vegas with everything going on in this town this weekend. And we got the flagship of the Raiders, Raider Nation Radio.
0: Before we started this season, the AFC West said we were rebuilding. I'm going be honest with you. I don't know what
3: rebuilding means. And our rebuilding you. we're world champs. And before I give it to the main show, Travis Kelsey, I just want to let y'all know that this is just the beginning. We ain't done yet. Welcome back, because we wrap it up on Friday here on Raider Nation Radio. Long week, Golden Knights. Excited to go to the Golden Knights tomorrow. Really excited. Got the Daytona 500. And more of Tiger Woods, as we've talked about a little bit so far here. So, big weekend coming up here in sports. I think it's one of the more underrated sports weekends out there because of the Daytona 500. I just love it. So, that'll be on throughout my house, the pregame, all of that. And we'll talk about that when we recap it on Monday. Also, starting next week, we lightly get into the NFL draft. Uh, The last week since we came back from the Super Bowl, including our time at the Super Bowl, we spent a lot of time all over what was going on with Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Aaron Rodgers, potentially the Raider quarterback. Who else could be involved? Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, Remember Florio, I keep saying, said Mac Jones or Baker Mayfield. Those were important topics that we were hitting on all week here. And then we're going to concentrate a little bit more on the draft, which I'll get to coming up, and the quarterbacks in the draft because we all know what the Raiders needs are. We all know that the Raiders need a lot of help on defense, interior line, two linebackers, they need a corner. I would think they'd need a guard, a right tackle who's a star in this league because with Colton Miller, you can get a star at right tackle in free agency via a trade. You can move up in the draft or get an established veteran. I think my experience tells me if you can get a veteran who's played in this league and might be getting a little expensive or might be leaving a team, you get a guy like that who knows he can play, Instead of a risky player on the offensive line, such as an Alex Leatherwood or a young offensive lineman who just doesn't have the ability to step up. It's going to take two or three years to develop. I like that proven guy who can get it done. Now, speaking of the Chiefs, I had an opportunity to speak, and not on this air. I did it earlier in the week. We spoke to the sideline reporter from the Kansas City Chiefs, Josh Klingler who's been a frequent guest on this show over the years, and I've been a guest on 610 in Kansas City quite frequently over the years. And he was kind enough to come on after they returned. They came back from the Super Bowl and talked about the wild ride for him again for another championship season.
1: Well, it's pretty wild just to reflect. And I kind of had myself going through the locker room last night asking the the players about it because this is this is a pretty ridiculous run. You know, three Super Bowls in five years, two wins in those five years, hosting five ASU championship games at home. I mean, there's a few a few multi-time Super Bowl guys in that locker room in a very short window. So it's happened uh, awfully fast, and it can be really fleeting as well in the NFL. And so I think everybody's just trying to kind of kind of process it and and not take it for granted either, because this is this is pretty rare territory they're flying in right now.
3: What do you think changed at halftime? Everybody's having fun with it. Rihanna takes a little bit longer. You get more times for adjustments. Eagles have a really good coaching staff, and they were prepared all year. What do you think was the difference between the first half and the second half that jumped out to you for the Chiefs in that dominant performance?
1: Well, I certainly think the long break had to help Patrick Mahomes. Um, He was in a great Mm -hmm. deal of pain with that high ankle sprain heading into halftime. And uh, so I, I, I got to imagine that that helped him at least kind of settle down a little bit. And I just thought it was the energy and the, and the physical play. Uh, the Eagles came out and I, I thought they were tremendously physical with the Chiefs. And I think it got matched better in the second half. I think that they were willing to go and play with a little more speed and, and, and play with a little more the uh, thump, especially on defense than they probably were in, the, in that first half. And then, and the offensive line, uh, man, they, they're the ones that, that, don't get enough credit probably, but they're the ones that came to play in this game because everybody talked about present company included the, uh, the 78 sacks that the, uh, the Eagles had going in and, and that there was going to be a big day for this offensive line in, in order for them to to offset what the Eagles could do defensively. And, and they rose to the challenge, namely the, the two tackles, Orlando Brown and Andrew Wiley, who had a uh, great ball games up front. And I just think that they, they came out with a little more fire and, and matching, I thought, Philadelphia's physical play a little better in the second half.
3: Josh Klinger joins the sideline reporter for the Chiefs, and you mentioned Orlando Brown. I've seen him play live, and at times he's been a liability on a great team, and his grades back it up. He is not an elite player, but he played as a Hall of Famer in that game. I mean, that's his defining moment of his life, the way he played in that game. He played to the best of his ability against a proven rock-solid defensive line, against some great recognizable players, and held his own, and I would even argue, I watched the game over again, I thought his push and his protection was at an elite level in that game.
1: Yeah, that's the oddity of this entire thing, because he's going to want to command a a big-time salary. They couldn't come to terms last year on the deal, and franchise tagged him, and I I don't know that that would be the route they would go again. Um, Mm -hmm. He's had, as you mentioned, it's kind kind of been up and down. There's been times where the two tackles have really had had issues against the faster defensive ends, I think, as you well know, namely in the AFC West where you have all those great DNs that, that run around that division. Um, at, at times, they were they were really tough on the outside, and you kind of wondered, well, he wants to be paid among the highest paid in the league. I don't know that he's going to necessarily command that, but but every once in a while he shows you those glimpses, right? And So it's going to be a difficult decision for the Chiefs. I, I think they'll probably have their number as were Orlando Brown Jr. If they don't match it this time, uh, that may be it. But we'll see. They up draft picks to get him. Um, so it, it, it's tough to move away from a guy like that. But I just don't know if they're going to pay top-end dollar, even if we're the most important position, uh, protecting uh, your quarterback. I don't know that he has necessarily played himself in position to to command that kind of dollar figure, at least from the Chiefs.
3: Yeah, I think it's also interesting when we look at this draft, because you know the personnel better than anybody you're around them, you're on the field during the game. How good was that draft? Going back to draft night and what they've done in the offseason, but I'd rather focused on the draft, how several players on that team helped them win the Super Bowl.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And to think you're, you're plugging a lot of draft picks into the lineup in a team that's, you know, a Super Bowl contender, even before the season starts, has been pretty amazing. And then to have the impactful play that you did. I mean, I don't know if you find too many teams that have 10 draft picks and all guy, all 10 guys hung around. I mean, one was on the practice squad to start the year, and he finished the year on the uh, the active roster as kind of a special teamer. And so they got draft picks from top to bottom, from Trent McDuffie, their their top pick, to uh, Isaiah Pacheco in the, in the seventh round, their starting running back, who all contributed this year. They had a whale of a draft. And, you know, if you're going to try to play this model where, your quarterback's obviously going to make your, your most money, and you're going to try to supplement probably some high-paid skill guys at times around him. You're going to have to get you know young uh, contributors. And so they did this past draft, and looks like they're going to have, let's say, nine picks again this year um, with some supplemental picks. And so um, I guess the bar's been set. <laughs> kind of expect them a to get a bunch of draft picks that contribute right away, just like they did this past season.
3: Josh Klingel is our guest as we wrap it up. I thought it was very important that you know Kansas City made a great play on special teams. We don't we try to get special teams out of the conversation. A lot of the kickoffs go into the end zone. Uh, the punts you don't see big returns even in the Super Bowl. Devin Hester had a kickoff return for a touchdown, but it's usually something when you go into the game you don't want to screw it up. You just want to have yeah. your special teams, not have a bunch of penalties and move you backwards. And Darius, Tony, I followed him with the Giants and the issues that he had, and he was a problem with the team and didn't live up to the hype there. And the fans there had a big problem with him. He erased all of that, and this is his legacy going forward. He had an impact game in the Super Bowl.
1: Yeah, and they got ways to get him the football. Special teams has been a liability for a good portion of the season, too. They've made a lot of turnovers, Tony included. Um, at times probably been over aggressive in trying to to make punt returns where the plays weren't there and had some turnovers and um, another field goal missed last night by by Harrison Butker. So their special teams have been kind of a a liability and then obviously come through with the big uh, Tony return to set up the touchdown and then Harrison Butker nailing the the game-winning field goal. So I ended up contributing in a a positive way, but that had been a spot that uh, from a fan perspective, especially I think there was a little bit of weariness in the postseason as to whether or not these special teams would, would let you down. They had a couple big returns. Sky Moore had a return in the in the postseason as well from a punt return that got him in business in the Cincinnati game. So it turned out to be a plus come postseason. That's when I guess you you wanted to rise to the top, but it hadn't been there all season long, that's for sure.
3: Yeah, and uh, I look at this, I wonder what's gonna happen next. On a side note for what you do for a living, Andy Reid spoke for literally it felt like two hours after the game. He had all the obligations on the field, so he had to go to Fox, right? Then he moved to ESPN and NFL Network and did some radio. I saw something he did with Peter King. He he was with SiriusXM. All of that. Then he had to do the mandatory post game, the regular post game for the NFL. I, just incredible the energy that he had after that game, and he continued to praise his coaching staff. And I want to wrap it up also with the coaches and Eric Bieniemy and Spagnuolo and how they all came together. This is an elite coaching staff and that needs to be pointed out
1: yeah and we'll see if it stays together i don't i don't know the answer to that at this point in time um we we all know uh eric bietamy you know interviewing with a lot of teams and not getting a head coaching job um this might be the time where he goes and finds an oc job somewhere else to get a little more uh out of the shadow of andy Reid. for for right or wrong i think it's wrong but it it seems to be kind of the reality of things and then um you know steve spagnola i'm interested to see if he's uh, you know, looking to keep pushing along as well. He's got a pretty young defense, aside from from Chris Jones and Frank Clark, who are obviously two talented guys up front. He's got a lot of youth in both the uh, the linebacker core and the secondary, so he's got a nice young defense to play with as well. But a former head coach who may be best suited um, in the position he's in, which is a defensive coordinator spot, and he's been obviously been great and and has uh, got two rings himself here in Kansas City.
3: All right, so to wrap this up, I want to ask you the final one on how to keep this team together. How do you keep the team together, knowing what Mahomes is making, Kelsey? Do they draft well? I think I know part of the answer is you got to have your draft picks play and play in the playoffs and win when they're young. But are there any contracts coming up similar to Tyreek Hill and Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew, that you look and say it's pretty much impossible to keep this roster together, or do you think they can bring the majority of them back?
1: Well, I think Orlando Brown, to me, would be the biggest question. Uh, Chris Jones um, has got a big number in a final year of his contract. Um, he obviously had 15 and a half sacks and was, um, in some circles, uh, a real uh, solid candidate for Defensive Player of the Year. i got to imagine they're going to try to extend him and have him play his career in Kansas City. But, again, easier said than done, right? You have to probably get some, some bend from players that want to stay and play here jones may be in that camp i think orlando brown is the is the big question are you going to allocate a bunch of resources to keep him as a as a top paid tackle or try to uh swing a trade for somebody else or find that in the draft and they're always on the hunt for for uh, offensive pieces juju smith schuster is an interesting i think free agent um we know that the wide receiver market had gotten kind of crazy around the nfl he may be helped out by that i think he fits into this offense uh terrifically. Um, and he's played, but he's played a couple of years, you know, both in Pittsburgh and now in Kansas city for kind of incentive, maybe lower value deals on short terms. And if he's looking for a long-term deal, as we saw with Tyree kill, you know, I don't know if anybody could count on a, on a wide receiver deal of any length and and huge dollars in Kansas city, but they may have to lean on him to say, Hey, you're pretty good in this offense. You want to, you want to stick around and play with Patrick Mahomes. That's a, that's a nice poll. I don't know if it's going to work on everybody
3: congratulations shots it's a great accomplishment it's amazing to be on the field when great things happen and have that memory to pass down to your kids and grandkids down the road and all that all the best and we'll talk to you again down the road appreciate you
1: all right thanks jc talk to you soon
3: so for josh i've been in that role with the raiders as a sideline reporter radio and tv he's done it at the world championship level now and once you once you get that ring And it says Super Bowl. I was damn close getting an AFC championship ring. I wear it, and I wear it rarely, but I do. I show Lincoln Kennedy it. (laughs) He played the game. I didn't, but I got a ring, and it wouldn't have been a Super Bowl ring if Tampa Bay didn't beat the Raiders. That's for another day, and that's for one of my sons to wear decades from now. But I love having that ring, and he's got another Super Bowl ring. So all this destiny talk and dynasty talk and all of that, I've tipped my cap all week for Kansas City. No one can say I didn't do that. All week long, we talked about Kansas City. I didn't do a lot with the parade. But when they won, we gave them credit here in the AFC West with the Las Vegas Raiders. And now we've got to put together a plan to knock them off like we do every offseason and come back and get them. That'll be the goal. That will always remain the goal as we continue here on Friday on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. I promise you, not, not a lot more Kansas City talk unless there's a trade. Someone moves on from the team. Someone retires. I don't think Andy Reid's going to retire. going to be nothing like that. We'll move on from Kansas City, but I thought it was important in the same division with them. Give them the respect of winning the championship, beating the Raiders twice this year, and move on from it. Take the high road. We're not Kansas City fans. We pick against them. We root against them, but they are world champions. Friday right here, we want to thank all our sponsors like we do every Friday here on Raider Nation Radio. Raising Cane's Chicken Fingers. Wow, they're back. They're with us. I love Raising Cane's. I love the dipping sauce. I love the toast that they have. I like the coleslaw. Always get the extra coleslaw. Proud partner of Raider Nation Radio. On a Friday here, JT on the flagship of the Silver and Black.